And that's why uh, I really like uh, Product Mindset, Agile and DevOps because it assumes that problems are going to happen eventually. So just to be ready to very quickly and very efficiently being able to continuously release to put new value in front of a user. And if something goes wrong, uh, notice as soon as possible, obviously, without affecting those users and revert to the, uh, to the previous version. On today's show, we're talking to Zizi CTO Sergio, and he is exploring the world of DevOps, Agile, and product, as you can tell from that clip. This is Tech Talks with David Savage, a day later than normal this week due to my running up a mountain and not getting back into the country till rather late, but we will have a show for you today and on Friday. And it's the show that shares insight from leaders across the industry for the peer group and for anyone who's simply interested in technology. So, hope you enjoy the show. So on today's podcast, uh, I'm joined by a very special guest. <laughs> Don't know why you're laughing. It's a technology project manager, someone who knows more about technology than either myself or Jack or any of the co-hosts on Tech Talks normally know. It's my wife, Hayley. <laughs> this is how you know he's run out of people that want to talk to him. <laughs> no, this is, this, is, this is a lovely, lovely uh, event to be able to have you on the podcast. Uh, slightly circumstances being, you know, that we've just got back from Switzerland from running up a mountain. Yes. Yeah. You were mad and did a marathon up a mountain. Yeah. And you came up and watched. I did. Yeah. And what was the worst part about it is the next day he woke up leaping around, showing off. And I felt broken from just standing there clapping people <laughs> in the cold for how many hours <laughs> yeah but I am limping heavily my right knee is buggered he is limping and I suspect that if I uh, sign up to anything else too soon you may kill me oh, so the marathon the, mar- the mountain may not have finished me off but you might but I will yeah <laughs> Okay, so on today's show, we are talking to Zizi, we're talking to Sergio, the CTO. And in this interview, there's basically a theme that runs through it that I think everyone can get on board with, that technology has to respond to the fact that the world isn't perfect. So we're talking to Sergio today. Sergio, you're the CTO of Zizi. I am. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. I mean, it's actually, it's, it's a pleasant morning, which is a rarity for this summer. So yeah. thank well. you for giving up some time. Thanks to you for giving me the opportunity to speak. <laughs> That's fine. And we're sitting in, in Hammersmith. Zizi, you've been... Have, have Zizi been in Hammersmith for, for a number of years now? This is your second office in this area, right? Uh, it is the second office in the area. We started uh, when we first joined the company back in 2012. Yeah. We were in Westman Studios uh, right, okay. near Portobello Road. Yeah, yeah. It was a nice, quirky office. But as we grew up, we moved to Hammersmith, not, close, not far from here. Always close to the station. Yeah. Now, about a year ago, we moved to uh, this office. As you can see, that we're very pleased to be here. So you keep um, upsizing, which suggests the business is doing well. Before we kind of get into, I suppose, some of the challenges that you face as a CTO, mm-hmm. what what exactly does IZ do? Yeah. So we do end-to-end digital services, mainly for public sector in mm-hmm. the UK. So we we try, and I think we achieve in most of the cases to use technology to. Um, so the government can better serve uh, UK citizens mm-hmm. um, and we use our product mindset and Agile and, and DevOps to um, build better uh, digital services and, and uh, fast and, and efficiently. So you moved over to the UK, what, you thought you'd be here a couple of years, um, 
you'd improve your English, but you've obviously got this, as you said there, this this kind of mission to improve public services for, for UK citizens. It'd just be interesting to kind of understand what your background no, is, how you abso- ended up here. Absolutely. So I, I've always, even when I worked back in Spain and uh, most of the projects or digital services I worked on was were in the public uh, sector. Mm. And <clears throat> in fact, I started back in 2005 as an intern. Um, my first projects were in back in Spain, the mini, equivalent of a Ministry of Justice in, in Spain. Yeah. Uh, so I, I always like to 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 work uh, in projects for public se- uh, public sector, because it's kind of it's more of like a, an altruist. Uh, yeah. You see what I mean? It's like you're actually serving to 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 people and and, and citizens. Uh, so yeah, I always liked <coughs> to be involved in part of being that size. Um, part of the thing that motivates me is is actually that one. So it'd just be really interesting to, to kind of pause on that point then and say, well, what, what are the challenges? You know, as a technologist working for a consultancy that's working with, you work with uh, Department of Education, Ministry of Justice, amongst others. You work, how, many, how many different departments are you working with as a business? Uh, many of them to be fair. So yeah, Department for Education, Ministry of Justice, uh, Home Office, uh, National Cyber Security Centre. So what, what uh, challenges do you see facing those, those organisations at the uh, well, I think at the moment, uh, so from our perspective, and in order to, what we want to achieve, right, mm-hmm. is being able to release fast, fa- mm-hmm. at fast pace, so we can release new features which can help UK citizens um, in their day lives, or even uh, UK government workers to do their job better, right? In order to do that, we have to release faster and if something goes wrong being able to you know go back to the previous version as fast as possible right the main challenge and stopper i can see that within the uk public sector is that to to achieve that in my opinion you need a product mindset and you need to approach an agile and and devops approach in order to be able to achieve that Uh, in order to do that a cultural change a mindset change is, is required. My ex- based on my experience, um, at the moment, some of the government organisations I've worked with, that cultural change is still on the go. So, mm-hmm. so, and sometimes that is one of the main challenges we find. Uh, so we have to be very data driven and and use a lot of you know metrics to an experimentation to in very early stages show the stakeholders the benefits and the, uh, the value they will get on taking that approach and how they actually end user, which for us, for us is the UK citizen, will get the, the benefit. So that's one of, one of the challenges. It's interesting to hear you talk about, you know, release faster <coughs> if something goes wrong. Um, again, you said before we started recording that, that with DevOps in particular, you kind of have to accept that the world isn't perfect. And, and it's kind of a philosophy of, of <coughs> how you work rather than a a technical framework, I suppose, and and you also you you, you started out as a back end engineer, but you wanted to talk to customers. So I suppose that's built into into you as an individual, and then obviously as, as well this this business that yes, there are technical challenges, but it's more about the approach and the cultural issue impact. Absolutely. So for me, uh, DevOps is not a methodology, uh, um, neither is agile. Uh, for me, it's, they are philosophies and ways of understanding very related to what is called now product mindset. Mm. Um, as I said before, as I talked to you before we started this interview, is um, 
world is not perfect and software uh, is not an exception. And I've been in the industry for more than 15 years and I haven't seen a single piece of code that is not buggy, right? Mm -hmm. There's always errors. Uh, no matter how well organized you are, you know, there's something, problems uh, coming up. So I think we just have to assume that the world isn't perfect. There's always going to be errors and we have to coexist with that and be as ready as we can to <coughs> uh, coexist with that imperfection uh, uh, of the world, right? And that's why uh, I really like uh, product mindset, agile and DevOps, because it assumes that problems are going to happen eventually. So just to be ready to very quickly and very efficiently being able to continuously release, to put new value in front of a user. And if something goes wrong, uh, notice as soon as possible, obviously, without affecting those users, and revert to the uh, to the previous version, which I think, in my opinion and experience, is proven to be way better than you know having a heavy processes uh, on top of it. Yeah. I find Dev SecOps quite an interesting conundrum, I suppose, because with DevOps, where you've got releases, every organisation has always released. That's that's kind of part and parcel of what they do. Speeding that up makes sense. Data enables that. Yeah, fine. Agile as well is a way of working that I can understand why an organization would adopt over waterfall in the modern world because of the pace of change. But security is a little bit different. A lot of organizations have only just got to the point where they're beginning to get their head around kind of a mature approach to security within their organizations. Does that, does that present a problem? Because you've got something that to, to some organizations is still in some regards a reasonably new discipline. Well, it doesn't really. Security is not a... Um it's not an exception. Um, everything is hackable nowadays. It's just a question, a matter of time. So security is a calculated thing. You have to be ready to, to be attacked. Uh, I have worked with, I will say, the biggest experts in uh, cybersecurity in this country, as we've been involved with the National Cybersecurity Center. And then... Um, Based on experience, because I've experimented both, mm. you know, the security by more process-driven uh, security, and I've also experimented um, a security within uh, a DevOps world, which is the sec part, uh, within the DevSecOps, which is tackling from the very beginning now as part of a team, uh, understanding the risk, who are your uh, threat actors, who might attack you, what is the risk your digital services expose, and then come up with the controls that you have to put in place, always balanced um, with the risk. Because sometimes I've, been, I've seen some cases where security is over-engineered, uh, and that goes against the user experience. And as I said, I think the driver should be improve citizens' lives and user experience. Uh, how do you do that without losing quality and without risking uh, being attacked? You know, we all know that nowadays cybersecurity, you know, there's a lot of threat actors, state actors, script kiddies. Uh, the only way to do that is iteration, iteration, iteration from the very beginning and always balanced with the risk, if that makes sense. I think balance is the key on everything. But just, just very out of interest, and uh, <coughs> this isn't laboring on the point, but if you if you find an organization where maybe security isn't quite as mature maybe as the technical 
leadership within an organization because I don't know, maybe they get, they've got their head around risk and compliance, but there are still some tools out there that they're kind of getting their heads around and it's, it's only been in the organization for four or five years. Does that differing of maturity level sometimes just hinder, take a little bit longer to get these processes in place? Or? It does. As I said before, uh, if you go to an organization where someone's been doing the, the same things in the same way for 20 years, yeah. it's not easy to, to change mindsets. But the key to do that, and um, security is not an exception, is by um, experimentation. In a very early stage, uh, you need to be, you need to take an empirical approach uh, to use data to show the value. Mm-hmm. And security, you can get very quick, for example, a very good proof of concept where you can expose uh, uh, in the CICD pipeline how you use tools uh, such as SNCC, for example, is one of the tools we use to identify potential security vulnerabilities in libraries you're using. Mm-hmm. You know, the developers, they use libraries all the time. And it's very difficult to control that. But if you put a tool and you put automation, that as they actually uh, use that uh, library in very early stages, identifies whether there is a vulnerability or not, and stop. If a vulnerability is found, stop the process. Mm-hmm. Sends a notification and say, you've got a vulnerability, that you need to fix it before. Those sort of things and putting that experimentation in front of that people helps greatly to change mindsets. So, so this business, its heritage was as a products organization, it's grown, um, you joined, you said about 2012, yeah. and there were a number of, of specialists who joined at that time. And you've emphasized the point that obviously customer experience and, and, and user experience is absolutely key. As the business has grown and you've added more services to that portfolio, how have you coped with the challenge that invariably you're going to get a little bit more distant from your end user, your customer, and then making sure that that customer experience is, is kept up to scratch? Well, the way to do that is making sure that everyone is on the same page. Um, and that's why communication is always key. Mm. And for each digital service with, we start, <clears throat> we make sure that we've got specialists that drive that user experience and that that is always the key driver. Uh, we've got specialists in, in product managers and uh, we've got a head of product which specialise on making sure the user experience is always on the top, mm-hmm. right? And then we build from there. The rest of the team is always um, working towards uh, that requirement and we make sure that the whole team, not only one or two people, mm-hmm. um, adopt the product mindset. Uh, we provide training to make sure that they understand uh, what, what implies to adopt the product mindset. Last quick question then, you're CTO. <laughs> You've been CTO, what, for three years? Yeah. Uh, and the role is, is very much split across strategic, QA, design. Where do you find yourself, sorry, where do you find yourself spending most of your time? Uh, it depends on the time. So as I said, we're still in the semi, and although I am CTO and I do some strategic work, which is probably 50%, 50-60% percent of my time, mm. Uh, I'm still involved on the design and the quality assurance of um, most of the digital services we work on. So we have defined a series of standards <coughs> which at the beginning of each uh, project we apply. So things like CICD pipelines fully automated, minimum set of tests that they need to be there. 
Uh, and I think that will probably expand, like, depending on, on which stage we are, if it's, for example, at the beginning of a big digital services, I will spend some more time making sure that the setup of that digital services has got everything needs to have. Once everything is set up, I can just, you know, leave the team a little bit more by themselves. But maybe it's, I don't know, 60-40, I would say, 60-30-40, that. So you've made that successful jump from a solution architect to a CTO. If you were to give one piece of advice, because there are a lot of people who want to be in that CTO role. It's a very attractive role still, I think, in the industry. If you were to give some advice to someone looking to make that jump, what, what would it be? Uh, one thing I will say is what got you here is not going to get you there. When you get to a little bit more managerial positions and, and uh, where you have to participate more in the strategy, uh, being really good technically is not enough. You have to change your mindset yourself and um, make others be successful mm. uh, and make sure that you uh, provide the right tools, the right training and the right ecosystem in general for others to be successful because that's what's going to make you successful. And that mindset change is what I will um, recommend everyone who wants to be in such position. Well, look, Sergio, thank you very much for giving up some time this morning. Thanks to you guys and uh, giving me the Yeah, hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> okay, so the world isn't perfect. No, and that's the thing that actually struck me the most. As a young project manager, and don't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> What's not going to say anything? <laughs> I mean, as a new to the world of project management. You're, you're very young. Very young, very, yes. very young. Um, it, it really did strike me that, that this acceptance that things aren't going to be perfect, there are going to be bugs, you're going to have issues. And actually, when you're starting out... Um, I don't know if it's for everybody, but particularly for myself, you go to the Steerco and you are desperate to present a positive project plan. Yeah. And even as you continue through the project, you still want to be upbeat about everything. But actually, you should maybe have the confidence to go in there and go, right, guys, I know that you think that two weeks should be allowed for looking at any bugs, but really, from what I've seen in the past, you're going to need longer or you're going to need to expect that the, these things are going to happen. Is that the, the, do you think that's the biggest problem that a lot of companies, and maybe, maybe it's not the technology departments, maybe it's the businesses or maybe it's an unwillingness of the technology departments to front up to the businesses, if we're perfectly honest, but they do build as if the world is perfect or they want yeah. to and they don't take into account even their own experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And there is always shock when things aren't quite right. Mm. But we should we should totally expect that, really. Yeah. What what I quite liked about Sergio was he kind of accounted for the shock. When, when he was talking about security, he talked about the fact that everything is hackable and it's just a matter of time, which I thought was quite a... Uh, quite an out, a kind of a forward-looking attitude. Whilst it might sound quite negative, it's, it's positive because then you can build and respond accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. I think the thing is, is that we have to accept that if someone wants to do something bad enough they're going to try and get there. But all you can do is make sure that you've got the best equipment around you, the best technology and the best people to spot it as soon as it happens and the response in place in order to make sure that, you know, you are ready for when that happens. Mm. He talks a lot about how UX has to be the driver. Yes. Which I can imagine most people subscribe to. And I go to a lot of talks and conferences now where people do talk uh, endlessly about user experience and the customer experience but it would seem to be that a lot of the problems that beset projects and uh -huh. technology 
contradict that that's actually been the case. Yeah, I mean, I worked on a particular project that had been going for a number of years, and maybe that should have rang alarm bells sooner than it did. Um, and the users just weren't weren't going for it. They didn't see how it was going to improve their day-to-day working life. I think that the idea around it was great, but we just didn't have the right technology. Um, We weren't able to get the right information at that time. It just wasn't available to us. Mm. And yeah, it seemed to be that because it had gone on for so long that no matter what, no matter who didn't want to use it, we were going to try and get there by hook or by crook. And in the end, it, it failed. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have your users going, God, this is great. Wow. Yeah, I really want to use this. This is fantastic. How are you ever going to make changes? Mm. Because you can't force change on on people's day-to-day lives. The last point I'll make before we go into to an advert break. Um, I, I like this point at the end uh, about what got you here isn't going to get you there. I think that's something that a lot of people overlook. You know, everyone's kind of very, yay me, I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> uh, my career's going in the right direction, but they don't think to continually evolve. And we've spoken a lot on the podcast about continuous learning. It's just quite nice to have that echoed by someone. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, let's face it, we're in an industry where you have to continually learn, otherwise you will be left behind. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely great. Well, look, uh, we will go to an advert break. Sergio, thank you very much for being our guest. Uh, But we will be back uh, after this short message. Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Uh, Right, this news article will get under your skin. Oh, God. Right. Uh, (laughs) Apple made Siri deflect questions on feminism, a leaked paper reveals. Right. What? Yeah, this is a story from Friday. So an internal project to rewrite how Siri voice assistants handle sensitive topics, including feminism and the Me Too movement, advised developers to respond in one of three ways. Don't engage, deflect, and finally, inform. So the project saw Siri's responses explicitly rewritten to ensure that the service would say it was in favour of equality, but never say the word feminism, even when directly asked questions about the topic. Wow. Yeah. That's, well, come on, let's, it's run by guys, right? <laughs> <laughs> Steady now. <Okay. laughs> I mean, look, it, it, is, it is fairly kind of, you were reading an article, we were getting a, a late flight home last night, and you we were, were reading an article all about uh, how women are taught to talk about themselves. And I guess this kind of fits into that overarching narrative, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that women are always meant to kind of dumb down how they feel, um, what they're going through, uh, all those kind of things, dumb down their talents even, um, and just kind of be a bit more modest, those kind of things. And this is just, you know, an extension of that, isn't it? We've actually recognised that something's going on. 
Mm. We're trying to address it. And technology is now telling us not to talk about it. But it's not even technology that's telling us not to talk about it. The problem is that it's being programmed. You know, when people talk about bias in, bias out, here is a wonderful example where the people who are behind the technology are teaching it to be sexist or not to be, not to empower women by ignoring the language. Yeah. It's, It's pretty shocking. And still... We'll go out and buy all the Apple Well, will products. we? Do you still want an iPhone next? I've just got a tablet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have got an iPad Pro. Yeah, I've right, just got, and got an iPad Pro. Oh, let's send it back, quick. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, it's a bit of a shorter show. I ran up a marathon. Uh, thank you very much to my lovely wife. Technology project manager, entirely qualified to be on the podcast. Uh, but thank just. you very much for, for stepping on in and helping. Um, and obviously this is... Uh, a day later than it would normally be, but we'll be back later in the week on Friday, so you still get two podcasts, uh, and my knee by then should be fully uh, recuperated, and <laughs> I may even have something else booked to walk up or something. You better bloody not. <laughs> <laughs>